uh, where we are pushing forward our parole initiative, which is reinstating federal parole, and also to mandate uh, parole criteria for everyone going up for parole so they'll know exactly what they need to do um, to earn their freedom back. For those who are trying to earn it back, um, it'll create a particular process uh, step by step uh, what needs to be done. And then we finished up the webinar on Saturday with a fantastic workshop. Uh, we have all of the video, all of the all of the event was uh, recorded. It's uploaded online in our Facebook National Freedom Movement fan page, and you can go on there and you can watch them. And we're getting them broken up, and and people are excited about the content. And uh, we're turning our eyes now toward April third. Uh, we have commitments from we have commitments from six states. We have other other organizers in other states that want to support an event but they have not yet had the organization to step forward and put the event together. Uh, we have a commitment from California. We have a commitment from Texas, commitment from Louisiana, commitment from Alabama, and a commitment from South Carolina as far as the National Freedom Movement goes. And, of course, the organizer who called for the event, um, Peace Justice, will be having the event in Georgia. So that's a great lineup. Uh, it's great to be a part of it. It was great just being a part of the webinar event. Uh, I'm also joined in the host queue tonight uh, by our outside coordinator, um, the founder of Be Frank for Justice. She's a member of many organizations. She, she hosted the workshop this weekend. Um, Savannah Eldridge should be joining just shortly, introducing herself. And uh, we welcome for anyone else. If you're interested in coming into the host queue, if you're a listener, uh, if you have some news or anything you need to update us on, please press 1. If you have stories to tell, stories of injustice, wrongful convictions, or actions uh, that you or your organization are planning, or if you want to get involved with the National Freedom Movement as we continue to try to coordinate activities around the nation, around these issues that are impacting us, um, want to just share a few things that are in the news right now, um, and I'll just be brief with those. Um, New York, the state of New York um, has passed the HALT Act, which is a bill to severely restrict and cut back on the use of solitary confinement in that state. I don't know if there's an age requirement. Didn't get a chance to get into the details. We do have several members from New York that participate in the National Freedom Movement. So if you're on, you're out of New York, you're listening tonight, um, and you can uh, provide some information or updates on it, please let us know. Um, we also saw today that the death penalty, state of Alabama, had four Democrats step forward and uh, introduced a bill to abolish the death penalty in the state of Alabama. That was a great bill to see that happen in the state of Alabama. Uh, we know it's a uphill fight, but people seem to be ready to fight around the nation. There seems to be all type of activities. Um, we're seeing all kind of bills. We're seeing a lot of grassroots organizations. We're seeing a lot of um, the traditional nonprofits. We're just seeing a lot of people involved, and um, it's important for people to be involved from the inside um, and, and leading some of these agendas and initiatives and letting people know what it is that we're seeking on the inside, what kind of changes need to be made, what they can do um, to assist us. And we need to be organized. We need to continue to organize uh, from the inside, continue to try to, continue to, try to link up, make connections, with other organizations and people around the nation because this is our fight. Like, this is our fight and this is our time. And so we have to be involved. And as I mentioned, also April 3rd, 
We have the parole initiative that is part of the uh, One Million Families for Parole event that was called for out of Georgia. And we're excited about that. On your individual state, like what are your other issues? Alabama, we're looking at the habitual offender law. We're rolling out a campaign called Ditch the Bitch. Um, in Alabama, when the habitual offender law came out and when it started, uh, this process of locking up uh, tens of thousands of people, um, the old timers, people who were in the system, they, they said it's the bitch law. They started calling it the bitch law. So we got a hashtag out called Ditch the Bitch. Um, we're trying to ditch the bitch law, not just in Alabama, but there are habitual offender laws all around the United States. California has, Texas has, um, South Carolina, you know, basically all of the states because this is mandated in the uh, in the crime bills that we covered. Our research team did an excellent job covering um, the six crime bills. Uh, the main drivers uh, behind some of these laws, they're not the only drivers. They're just some of the more prominent, more well-known bills. Uh, which leads us into the webinar. We had a great webinar. We had speakers from, I mean, literally all over the place, uh, from California to South Carolina. We had people on um, talking about these issues coast to coast. Uh, very informative, educational event um, over the course of three days. And uh, we're, mo- we're, we're continuing around. It was not a one-off moment. We did not organize that to be part of a moment. We organized that to put it together to continue to advance this movement to create pathways to freedom for all 2.4 million people who are being held hostage, kidnapped against our will in these death camps that they call prisons, immigration detention facilities, uh, county jails, city jails. They're all based on the same premise. They're all inhumane. Uh, and we must organize to dismantle this whole carceral state, as it's called. Uh, Max will tell you it's a plantation system. That's the actual word, the plantation system. This is how the institution of slavery has always been ran, and now it's a state enterprise, and the states are using it. They're running it just like any other non, uh, any other for-profit corporation, except they're not paying the workers or the slaves. So that's what we're here for. <clears throat> You know, there's been some great news about some bills, the, um, the abolitionist movement with the um, removing the uh, slave language. Saw a great debate out of Tennessee. Um, saw Dr. Ben Carson, surprisingly, one of the four Republicans who voted against removing the language out of the state constitution. So there's so much going on. Um, we're seeing out in California um, uh, our sister Jamelia Land doing a great job out there organizing her and her husband like, I remember we asked the question of Max when we was going through Free uh, the Thirteenth, and I said, "Imagine what the Thirteenth Amendment would have looked like if a slave had wrote it." And sure enough, uh, a person who's enslaved in California wrote the bill to abolish slavery in the state of California. And uh, his his wife, she she's galvanized the community. She she went kicked down all the doors, congressional doors, local city, state, whatever she had to do um, to get that bill out there, and they worked as a great team, and um, it's coming to fruition. It's, 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 they're, they're on the cusp, you know, and so I take I, I take special pride in that, knowing that one of us did that, you know what I'm saying? That, that's like different. That's different from when people on the outside doing it, and we're doing it for ourselves, you know, and that, that he was able to 
to navigate that with his loved one and to maintain, you know, um, just a, a presence in that, you know, in that whole process. And, like, that's so very important for all of us. Like, getting the job done is, is, is the most important thing. That's the most important thing, and no matter who do it. But the fact that one of us did it, it just, it just, it just adds a little more, you know, credibility to what we're doing behind these walls. And it's like everything that you see going on around America, dealing with these, these, these the slavery, uh, these bills, this legislation, like these issues became issues because the plantation, the people on the plantation made them issues. We made them issues. Like if we had not made these issues, if we had not made sacrifices. They had not done the hunger strike in California. They had not done the work strike in Georgia. We had not done the strikes um, in Alabama and then the national strike. If these things had not occurred, like, these issues would not be discussed. They would not be on the platform. They would not be on the agenda. But we did stop. We didn't back down. And uh, we're not stopping now. And now we're pushing parole and, and voting rights. And we're pushing these conversations about all of these things, like, all of these statistics and everything that you see people talking about, they're talking about us. You know, they're talking about us and what we're what we're going through. They're talking about our lived experiences. They're talking, some of them are talking about us in statistics. We're breaking those statistics down to the human factor and putting our stories out. And this is what's driving the movement. So um, just a big salute to everybody, you know, people in whatever your circumstance or condition like. You're in a solitary confinement. You're in lockup. You're in the shoe. Um, you're in population. If you just wherever you move and operating and networking within this movement, you know it's just a big salute to everyone um, who's working behind these enemy lines because, like, we, we're you know we not we don't we don't count our eggs before they hatch. We know that we don't count the eggs before they hatch. But what we can do is to continue to be in this moment. Like, the baton has been passed to us. We have to continue to carry the baton. Let's just continue to carry the baton. Like, maybe we're across the finish line and we're in the race. But one thing is for certain, we have advanced the cause. We have advanced the cause, and we're going to continue to advance the cause. Um, and the National Freedom Movement is going to be a part of it, uh, Free Alabama Movement, and all the other organizations. I always like to let other organizations, organizers speak for themselves. Um, you know, to establish their own presence. Like, let everyone know, hey, we here too. Max, you want to say something tonight about some of the um, bills and legislation that's going on around the country? Give people some updates. Yeah, sure. Um, first, the brother that wrote that legislation for California's ACA3 was Samuel Brown out in California. So props to brother Samuel Brown. Uh, just recently, we passed the third of five stages in New Jersey. And my wife, myself, Brother Yusuf Hassan, uh, Dennis Bebo, we all testified in New Jersey to help push that bill forward. So it's like New Jersey is going to end slavery. Uh, we're also about to resubmit Ohio's bill uh, to get it done there. At present, we have uh, 12 states that have legislation, and I just got contacted today by Indiana who wants to get theirs done. So that will bring us up to a total of 31 states that are actively involved in slavery abolition by changing their constitutions. 31 states. Sorry about that. Still there with me, brother? 
But also, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I was on mute. I was talking, but I was on mute. But um, also, I also wanted to point out, like, in Tennessee, like, that movement started from the inside, too. Um, the, the people yep. who were responsible for that stuff being brought to the forefront, that started in on the inside. Like, can you talk about that for just a minute, Max? And, and I don't know how much you know about the, the guys on the inside who were involved, the organization or whatnot, but can you just kind of, like, update on the process of those hearings and the, yeah. the opposition to it? Well, uh, Tennessee is uh, started from the inside, but so did New Jersey. Uh, New Jersey started with the youth detention facilities out in Hudson County and Dennis Feeble. Uh, he acted as their voice to get that done. So it's happening in several states with people behind enemy lines making it happen, including youth detention facilities. But in Tennessee, that was the first time that we had any no votes uh, in ending slavery. So we've had four states that have abolished it. And we've had hearings on at least six so far, and nobody's ever said, no, I don't want to abolish slavery until Tennessee. We've got four no votes. One of them, who uh, we're sure he's a white supremacist out in Tennessee, by the way. We done did the research on him. One of them said that, well, it takes a lawyer to explain this, and since I can't explain it to my people, I'm going to have to vote no. Another one said, well, I don't believe that the framers of the 1870 Constitution wanted to keep slavery going, so because I think that way, I'm going to vote no. Uh, so they had four no votes, and that was the first for us. Everybody else has voted unanimously yes. But in Tennessee, we had four white people, old white men, stand up and explain how they wanted to vote no about ending slavery. But we also got to realize in Tennessee, that's the home of CCA which is the number one for-profit private prison company in the country. Uh, it, well, it's now called Core Civic. It was called CCA. But that's their home base right there. And it's also the home base of uh, many of the Klansmen. So we expected some opposition from there, uh, and we are blasting them already. As a matter of fact, the Breakfast Club, uh, what's the brother that hosted out there? Uh, the God, uh, what's his name? In the Breakfast Club, Charlemagne the God. Yeah, Charlemagne the God did a whole segment on his dunk with the He went in, man. He went in, man. He went in on him. Yeah, he went in, boy. He didn't realize that it's more than one state. He was thinking, you know, it's just Tennessee. He didn't realize that this thing is a whole national effort, but he definitely went in on him. Why do you think he don't realize it's a national um, thing, um, um, Max? Personally, I blame mainstream media. A lot of people get their no, no, information no, 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 from no, no, mainstream no, media. No, uh, no, no, I'm saying, why do you think that Charlemagne is not aware that it's, 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 it's more than one place? What, what what makes you say that? Did he say that, or is there something that you know that makes that? that? It's what he didn't say. He, he made no mention about any other states or any other efforts to do this. So he talked as if it was a singularity, like this was something that needed to be done in Tennessee, and it's being done in Tennessee. So he didn't mention anything about any other states doing the same thing. Uh, so it wasn't what he said, it was what he didn't say that gave me the impression that he didn't realize it. Okay, okay. I was just curious of that. Um, okay, um, we, we got some action out of topic. Texas, too. Yeah, okay, so before we get off topic, um, I just wanted to um, plug what we're doing down here in Texas. So 
Um, we had our House Joint Resolution 51 filed at the beginning of the year, um, and we had been waiting for a, the Senate Companion Bill and finally got that filed on March the 12th. So now we have a bill in the mm -hmm. House, House Joint Resolution 51, and then Senate Joint Resolution 66, um, both basically saying the same thing, that slavery is prohibited, um, mm -hmm. even as punishment for crime, right? Um, so what we're working on now is trying to get a hearing for our, our House bill. Um, it's already been assigned to a committee, and uh, so we've had some advocates and activists um, and peers across the state calling the State Affairs Committee um, requesting a hearing for our bill. Um, so our bill's in the State Affairs Committee, and the chair is Representative Chris Paddy, P-A-D-D-I-E, and his number is 512-463-0556. If you get a voicemail, you can just leave them a voicemail and let them know that you're calling to request a hearing for House Joint Resolution 51 on behalf of either yourself or the Coalition to Abolish Slavery Texas. And you can also call the Vice Chair Representative Ana Hernandez. Her number is 512-463-0614. Um, I called over the past few days, and I was basically told by the members, like, you know, you might as well just call the chair and the vice chair because they're the ones that are going to be making the decision as to whether or not this bill gets a hearing. So um, we need – it's basically a call to action. We need all the help that we can get um, because we want to be heard, right? Um, we've worked really hard campaigning. Um, we've worked really hard trying to educate folks and reach out. Um, so we want to make sure that people hear what we have to say because we deserve that. Yes, sir. Okay, thanks a lot for that um, update out of the uh, state of Texas. So um, just moving on along to some of the other issues that we have on the plate, like I said, in New York, they're working to um, end the solitary confinement out there in New York, which is great because we know that these uh, solitary confinement cells, they're torture chambers. That's what they actually are. Um, if people who have mental health issues, they, they isolate those. Like many people don't know, like the majority of solitary confinement cells are filled with black and brown people. Like in Alabama, there's probably about a, no less than a 80, I would say no less than an 85% rate, 85 black. You may go into some units, there may not be a single white person in the unit, you know. And I know people um, tend to be discomfort, discomfortable when we talk about race and racial issues, but a lot of times we don't be talking about race. We're talking about facts. And the facts paint their own picture. And I mean, like, if you go into a unit and it's a punishment unit, restrictive confinement, and it's 90% black or 95% black or 100% black, and the camp is, you know, 30, 40, 50% white, like, I mean, it's, it's the same over-policing um, that we see in the community. It's like the, the imagery and the association with wrongdoing and criminality and blackness, it, it, never, it never separates. Like every layer of the system, they have this. Like every layer of the system, they're educated and taught this way. And so we're subjected to this stuff, you know. And um, I was doing some research on the immigration uh, detention 
because I'm, I've never been able to figure out, like, why is it that our movements are not more closely aligned? And, I, and this is not the answer. But this is just one of the one of the things that I noticed that stuck out to me like a sore thumb. Like black people voted for Barack Obama, like ninety something percent. The majority of the laws that were passed um, or that were enforced to their intensity surrounding this immigration stuff, a lot of it came from Obama, except for the Dream Act when 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 the political pressure started building, when those when the Latino community started organizing. But like Obama, they called him the deporter in chief. Like he deported more so-called illegal immigrants or whatever the term is. Like it's, there's, there's so many derogatory terms when you think about it. When you put this story in its actual context and realize that this was their country that was taken from from them, like you really don't know how to define it. But be that as it may, I'm just using the language that's available right now. Like these people were like the, the the law enforcement, the task force, like a lot of this stuff happened under President Obama's watch. And so they're looking at it like the friend of my enemy is my enemy because we're continuing to support these parties and these people in all these different ways. And they're looking at what they're, because we were blind. Like we didn't know um, what these people were doing to us. We got caught up in the moment. The Bill Clinton stuff had us, had us drunk. And then the, 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 the skin color had us drunk like it's so many issues, but I just noticed that was just one of the things I, I was putting myself in their shoes and be like, damn, they supporting this person, and this person literally is, 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 is building all these immigration facilities and opening stuff up and, and doing all these things to us. And another thing I learned in the immigration issue is that, like, immigration has been criminalized. It's no longer pick them up and deport them. It's now pick them up, and they've turned it into a criminal offense. So now you're committing a crime. So now you're automatically going to prison. And then they started creating mandatory minimums, enhancers, and all this kind of stuff. So now this is the reason why the federal prisons are being filled up with Latino people. Like, this is part of what's going on. Um, Somebody uh, needs to go on mute. But this is what's going on with some of these issues. Like, there's a lot of intersecting issues and some of this stuff is like they're looking at it from one perspective and then they're like barriers, but we've got to figure out a way to, to break down these barriers because, and as I was reading and doing this research, I was thinking about this parole issue that we're, the parole initiative that we're pushing. And so when you start talking about parole for a person who's being, who's only crime is crossing the border and they got 20 years, like, what is a mandatory minimum for them? What does parole look like? Like, where do they parole to? Do they parole out of the United States, back to Mexico, or how does that work? You know, like, what would a a, a, a parole curriculum look like for them? That was another question I asked myself. Like, what would the curriculum look like? They haven't done anything, but they have crossed the border. And so those issues made me realize, like, their issues in some respects are the same as ours, but their issues are very different. But their circumstances are the same because we end up doing time side by side with each other. So I do believe that the reinstating federal parole and the, to the parole system would be a big boost for them and that the mandatory parole criteria, like, I don't know how that part of it would work, but I know that parole and anything that shortened that, that time uh, would definitely be, you know, something that they would appreciate. So 
I just wanted to try to get to understand some of the issues and trying to see, like, what would be the reasons. Because I'm trying to understand not only why is it that we're not already united, but, like, what can we do to get unified? Savannah, you out there in Texas, y'all have very large uh, population. So um, can you, like, speak about that? Like, there are organizations out there that deal with it differently. So I guess we're going to have to get some understanding from organizers and people in states where that's more of an issue. I even learned that, that it's only an issue in certain regions of the country. So it's like so many things about this stuff that we need to educate ourselves on. But can you talk about that a little bit, Savannah? Related to, like, how to address the parole issues? I missed well, the last Well, like, part. what are some of the barriers that you all have as far as organizing with those types of uh, organizations around this issue? And what are some of the, the things that you heard say is a problem or like where are some of the common grounds? Like how does how do we bring all of these movements together? So first shout out to Jorge Renault. Like I feel like we're so fortunate to have him like locally. Um he's just like the voice behind, you know, this parole issue and he's done some fabulous work re- researching um the issue and really offering solutions. Um, to how to fix this problem. Um, I think some of the barriers overall from what I've seen is um, there's kind of been a little bit of a divide regarding how to address the parole issue, right? Because, you know, you have abolitionists who believe that, you know, we need to abolish all prisons. And then you have, you know, people who are looking at it like from a fiscal standpoint, right? And I think we... we, we go through this in, similarly in, when we're talking about the issue with, um, you know, abolishing slavery, right, because um, we never want to um, talk or, you know, speak about people in a, in a way, like in a, in a way that, like, we're just thinking about the money and really getting away from the, the fact that it's a human rights issue, right, and because one thing we have in common is that we believe that, people deserve to be free. The thing I think that we divide on is like, how are we going to get there, right? Um, so there's several parole bills. I think the last time I looked and I I did mention on the last show, there were over 120 bills at the time. Um, the last day to file was on March the 12th, but um, at that time there were over 120 bills filed in some way, form, or fashion related to parole. So, you know, there's a national um initiative for a second look, and we do have a second look bill filed here in the state of Texas. I believe it's uh, House Bill 686, um, which, of course, I'm in favor of, which will basically, um, after 20 years, uh, folks who were um, charged under the age of 18, um, then they'll get, um, you know, a review, a parole review. Um, so it's for, you know, juvenile um, juveniles and not adults. Um, another great bill, which... Um, I just heard it got a hearing is House Bill 2331, and I spoke about that on one of the other shows, but it's really important because of the freeze that happened here in the winter storm that happened in Texas, and it addresses the lack of response on behalf of the prison system. So um, that particular bill, um, what it was asking, sorry, hold on, that's not 2331. 2331 is a parole bill. That's our common sense parole bill, sorry. 
I'm getting them mixed up. So 2331 is the Common Sense Parole Bill, and basically what that bill is asking is to front load all programming, right? And that's something that we're in line with in the National Freedom Movement. It's like, hey, you know, once people go into prison, <clears throat> we need to figure out what type of programming they need and get it started right then, right? Right now what's been happening in the state of Texas is, you know, people go before the parole board, they get denied, and then they tell them, okay, you need to do this to get prepared, you know, like for your next hearing. So, you know, in the interim, folks are just kind of waiting around, like, you know, and they do get their their ICP, uh, their individualized treatment plan. However, a lot of times they're not given the tools they need to work towards, you know, whatever it is listed on that program, right? Um, sometimes people have the means through their family, you know, to go to some type, get some type of secondary education. But as far as programming in the system itself, um, it's just not made available the way it should be. Um, and so that that particular bill is addressing what we're calling a common sense parole bill. Um, and like I said, it's got a hearing. The other bill, 2793, is the one that um, I had referenced about. Um, the freeze and the winter storm and really um, getting the prison system to focus on, like, how are they going to address it? Like, if there's another natural disaster, you know, or emergency situation, like, what are you going to do for the people? Like, we know what happened with the facilities, you know, plan operations and things like that, but how are we going to get the people, keep the people safe? Because, you know, we heard stories where people were, like, defecating in bags, there was no heat, some units were without water for days on end. Um, and so what this, what that bill um, is going to require them to do is create an advisory board, which is going to be made up of um, folks in the community who have experience with emergency planning. Uh, I think it's calling for at least one person who is formerly incarcerated, somebody, at least a, a loved one or a family member. And this advisory board is going to be a part of the planning process, right? And part of that bill is going to um, allow this advisor board um, to work with the parole board and the executive director of the prison to um, take a look at, like, the parole, like, ex who could be possibly, like, released, um, like, expedited release. So, of course, you know, maintaining public safety, but, you know, we also know that, like, there was something like 11,000 people who were not uh, who had been paroled but waiting uh, to be released because they didn't have access to programming because of coronavirus, right? And everything was delayed. So, you know, there was, there's like crisis on top of crisis um, that prevented, that were huge barriers, right, to people returning into the community, not of no fault of their own because they had done what they needed to do. You know, they were just waiting to get into these programs to just do that last little part in it. You know, unfortunately, um, it was reported that I don't know the exact number, but um, some people um, did die in the prison system waiting to be paroled. Um, so, yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot of uh, great bills. There's another bill, parole bill, um, that would actually um, commute sentences. So after someone's been on parole for 10 years, yes, 10 years, um, they could apply for a sentence, uh, a commutation of their parole um, after 10 years, but they can't have any revocations at all. And I think um, sex offenders were excluded in that bill. Um, so, yeah, and then Jorge's bill, I can't forget that. Jorge actually wrote and filed a bill um, 
for regarding the makeup of the parole board. Um, and I, I believe um, he wanted to, in the bill, to make sure um, there was a mental health professional, um, at least, and I'm not sure, but, oh, someone who's uh, formerly incarcerated or directly impacted. It, it said it in that way. So I'm assuming it could be somebody who had lived experience or a family member, but it did say specify directly um, impacted. So, um, but lots of great bills. I'm rooting for all of them. Uh, we do have, we are having a parole rally in Texas on April the 3rd at the Capitol. Um, and so, of course, this is just the next step following our awesome uh, parole webinar. I went great. Um, I was really excited. Before I be quiet, I just want to shout out to the research team because I just got, like, so much feedback about how much folks learned and how great the presentation was on day one. It was just so jam-packed with information. I know we had talked about, you know, it possibly having been like three whole days just because it was so much um, good information, but um, everybody did an awesome job. So, Savannah, so you didn't one of the questions I was asking. You didn't, you didn't answer. I want to, I want to re-ask that question, make sure you understand me. Like Texas is a state, like, when I was doing this immigration research, Texas is part of the Fifth Circuit, and they have the most immigration cases than any other federal circuit court in the United States. And so there's a lot of organizing activity in the state of Texas around immigration, and that issue is not connected to the prison slavery abolitionist type of issue or movement. And so I was asking you as a resident of Texas and being around that and being a part of organizations that have a large uh, Latino population and working together with Texas Organizer Project and other organizations, like how is that conversation had? What are the barriers and why are we not seeing more unity um, on that front? Oh, I missed that part. Oh, sorry about that. Okay. So, well, I'm glad you mentioned Texas Organizing Project because, like, Texas Organizing Project um, has it has it down when it comes to trying to uh, merge black and brown and keep those um, keep those issues centered. Like, um, they org they have um, an immigration um, justice team who, um, you know, deal with issues, but it's, we call it, you know, the crimmigration system. And you mentioned that how, you know, people are being jailed and they're being detained. Um, but I just, I think the barrier really is that, you know, these relationships have been divided on purpose, right, by other groups. I, I just, they've been, the, the similarities in the issue have purposely been removed to keep the groups divided and so it's it's a struggle like even talking about the the slavery issue right um the coalition to abolish slavery you know we've been talking about like how can we um help how can we uh, um strategize and not necessarily strategize but you know like educate the the brown community to see how the role that this plays in their communities as well, right? Like, and not having people feel like, you know, oh, this is just a, like a, a black issue or African American issue. Um, some organizations do it better than others. I, I'll say that. There are some organizations that have no interest in doing it. You know, like, you know, this is, 
this is my issue, like, you know, to my community, and I'm focusing on my community. Um, but the key is, like, education and helping people see that the harms that are caused in our communities and the black communities, you know, are not far removed from what's going on in, in the brown communities. I've actually lived in South Texas, so um, I've kind of done work in both just because, you know, I lived at one time just two hours from Mexico, so um, there were groups organizing around um, immigration um, rights, you know, protesting and, and organizing actually at the, de- the detention centers. But, um, like, as you mentioned, like, politics plays a huge role in that. And I personally feel like um, these, issue- these issues are purposely kept separate, right, because as long as the issues are separated and divided, then, you know, the people are too, right? Um, so it, each organization just addresses it differently. I mean, there's no rhyme or reason to it. I, like I said, like a shout out and tops off, uh, hat off to top because, um, they do have a better system of inclusivity between black and, and the brown community. Um, so to me, they're, they are the, um, the template when it comes to that personally. Okay, thanks a lot. I think we have a caller. Uh, Max, go ahead and bring the caller along. And then after the caller, I'm going to give an update on something that, that just passed this breaking news out of the United States uh, House of Representatives regarding something we're actually talking about right now. So let's go ahead and bring the caller on, and then we'll uh, give an update before we go into our first break. All right, 9147, you are live from the plantation. Nine one four seven. Hey, Max, that's me. I'm in a whole ski. I'm just chilling, listening. I just came in, man. All right. All right. Okay. Um, what we're gonna do? Uh, the United States Congress, uh, United States House of Representatives, passed legislation today creating a pathway to citizenship for the dreamers which are the children who came to the united states um people came to the united states as children and they were being threatened with deportation some of them were deported families were being split up and whatnot so that legislation uh just passed in the house of representatives like we all you know we're all aware of that issue. Like, that has become such a political issue to the point that, like, but, you know, the organizing that they are doing, like, the way that they're making themselves known and making their issue known um, is something to be admired, to see how they've been able to come together. And just think about the predicament that, they, that they're in. Like, a lot of the people that they are fighting for face the threat of, of consequences every time they get involved. And it's like when we hear people talk about, when we talk about family members over here in the U.S., <clears throat> and we talk about people and the family members be like saying that their loved ones are scared. The ones on the inside are scared. Well, like, these are people on the outside, and they are worried about losing their freedom, and they're still taking risks despite their fear. But the people on the inside who have already lost your freedom, like, you already lost your freedom. Like, you don't have anything else to lose. Like, when they get our freedom, they take everything from us. We don't have anything to lose. And we're afraid, and we're not moving like them. 
Like, and our problem has been here longer. It has been more egregious. Like, we done suffered more. We done had more casualties. Like, everything across the board, even though now it's all lining up to be the same thing. Like, the same, the war on immigration is the war on drugs, except we're dealing with immigration. Like, they've criminalized immigration. They've added mandatory minimum. They've created joint task force. And, and, and they are starting to build new prisons for them and immigration detention facilities. And the federal government is coming to the es- to the to the rescue of the private prison. Like everything that we've already saw and been through is what they're going through right now. You know, except for they're going through it under the under the label of immigration. We went through it under the label of the war on drugs. And so, and everything looks the same. The way that they're taking us in court, uh, the, the police force. And guess what? Hundreds of these people are dying in custody. Hundreds of people are dying in custody from police abuse. The same things we're going through, they're going through the exact same thing. And so, like I said, I've been just trying to figure out, like, now what got me on this? You know, we've always wondered about this thing. But, like, I was on one of these um, um, large meetings where I saw all of these people. We had blacks, we had whites, we had Latinos. And they were talking about these issues, and then you had a, a interpreter. You could get it interpreted in one language, and then one person to speak in English, and another person to come and speak in Spanish, and then they post into the chat. One person is posting in English, and another person posting in chat, uh, 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 Spanish. And I just saw all of these moving parts working together, and, and, and that's what had me like, damn, what we? Th- there is some work, there is some unity on this issue. And then I learned that there are different groups. Like, there are different grassroots groups out there. They got the same problem we got. They got grassroots grassroots groups that want the whole thing. And then you got these uh, other organizations, these professional organizations. They're all Latino. And these professional organizations are more watered down and and go along, get along, and, and not doing too much bucking. Like, the same things are playing out across the board. Like, there's nothing different across the board. And um, we just got to figure out a way to bring these two struggles together. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that parole is a strong possibility. We're just going to have to do some more research. We're going to have to get someone who's, who's fluent in Spanish um, that can come and help us write our – like we got to our, – our, um, our flyers have got to start including Spanish language in them. Like we have one coming out, we're we're fixing to change one of our um, our core methods in the movement. We're fixing to change one of the methods that we use, and when we come out with this change, uh, and it's dealing with work strikes. Like we're there's fixing to be some fundamental changes about the way that Free Alabama Movement and National Freedom Movement is going to talk about that that subject right there. Because I feel like you know from a personal perspective, like the the, the language is kind of like it's a uh, it's not enough. It's not. I don't want to say it's, 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 it's counterproductive, but like it's, it's not. It's, it's not right. It, it has to be working. As we evolve, our understanding evolves, and we get more information, and things are revealed to us on a higher level. Like you just have to make changes. You can't be stuck on anything. Don't get stuck on stupid. Cause that's what. That's that's what'll happen if you don't change. Change with the times. You'll miss something. So, um, what we're gonna do? We're going to take our uh, first break. Appreciate everyone for calling in and joining us. Okay, go ahead and bring our caller on, man. And after the caller, we're going to break.
916, your line is open. Hey, everybody. This is Lulu. How y'all doing? Um, hey, what's up, Lulu? Lulu, how you doing? Good, good, good. I'm staying here doing my daughter's hair, so let me call in and get in on this. Um, I, what you said, you know, about people being on the outside coming from, you know, you know, fighting this whole immigration battle, you have to still take into consideration the mindset of a person who has been incarcerated and, and locked down for years, yes, they have nothing to lose, but they all still are waiting on that hope that one day, someday soon, they can get back to the life that they once knew. Whereas people coming here from other countries, you know, a lot of times, you know, I hear people who I know work for Border Patrol and things like that, where they say people will walk to the border in labor just to drop their babies on the the United States line. And so they're coming from a different place of desperation in order to live in a lot of cases. Like everybody's not coming. You know, I think in the United States we're spoiled. We're spoiled to a certain extent because of the way that we live and the way that we're able to live and the things that we see people coming from other countries willing to do just to get in this country already puts them at a different level of, I don't know if you want to say fight. So when I see people, you know, when when, we, when you talked about that and you say, well, why is it that, you know, the people who are incarcerated won't even fight for themselves and these people are on the outside fighting, you know, just as hard, and that's because they've come from something that we don't necessarily understand. You know, a lot of people will say that Americans, even though we don't think it's that great over here, you know, we live life with the silver spoon. And so I think that the only way people will fully understand that is understanding where those groups of people come from and why their fight is so serious. You got a lot of people coming from asylum situations. A lot of people just want their children to be born in the United States, and so they fight. But once they get up, they'll, they'll do anything to get over here. A lot of people, and that's, that's the experience and that's the knowledge and that's what we know, right? But the people who are incarcerated are used to being able to either live a life that they consider and call normal, and they enjoy it at one point in time until life changed. And so I think that that's the difference about why people on the on the inside are always too scared or not willing to do enough. And, you know, it's all like a victim of environment, for lack of better words, because I can definitely tell you the difference between those incarcerated in New York versus those incarcerated in South Carolina is a whole different ball of wax. Like, you know, just trying to get people to even come together and work together in South Carolina it's like pulling to somebody's two front teeth out. Well, let me ask you. Let me ask you this, um, Lulu. Like, um, I kind of get some of what you're saying. Like, okay, so, but the people that you're talking about, like, the things that they're doing now that we that you described accurately is desperation. Like, they're coming for a better life. Okay, all right. The people who are incarcerated in the United States should be coming from that same perspective because. Our situation is the same. But those are not the people that I was asking about who should be united. Like I'm saying, those people that are that are desperate to get over here to experience these things. Okay, the United States has criminalized that, and they are now locking these people up, mass incarcerating them, giving them 20-year minimums. And these folks are spending decades and decades in federal prisons 
because of that. And so the question I was like, why is it that we are not in lockstep or we are not united with those people once it becomes that they're criminalized and they're locked up for it? Like, why is it still a separate issue? Why are we still, they fighting immigration over here and we're fighting this? Because this is something else that I learned. The Anti-Terrorism and Effective Death Penalty Act affected immigration. I didn't know that. I also mm-hmm. learned that at the same at the same time that, and then I didn't even think about the backside, like the one year and all of that, that affected them too. I'm saying, but there were, there were immigration laws in there because remember, um, um, like, okay, well, hold on. Let me let me back up. Like, there were other immigration laws that was criminalizing immigration at the same time that the Anti-Drug Abuse Act was being filed, the Sentencing Reform Act was being filed. So they were criminalizing this stuff all at the same time and then using some of the same laws. And so that's what I'm saying. Like, why is it that we are not the fight is not in lockstep. I understand that we're coming from different perspectives. We're coming from one lifestyle. They're coming from another lifestyle. But we're meeting up at the same place in the criminal justice system. We're all being put in handcuffs by the same police forces, and they're putting us in the same cages and in the same cells and in the same prison, and we're still not fighting together. So, but what's – okay, so I'll say this, because, you know, I've seen a different side of this just living in Atlanta. Um, so my, I guess my question to you is, what is your experience with the other, you know, with the brown community inside of the Alabama institution? Like, what is the experience there? Are is there a unification on that front? Like, just okay. Well, first off, themselves? okay, okay. First off, um, I've never met a person in the Alabama prison system for immigration crime. That's the first thing. Oh, you haven't. The second thing. Okay. okay the second thing. The second thing is um, I've never been to – I've only been to one prison where that I saw more than 10 or 15 Mexicans. Like, it's yeah. not a problem. That's why I said – that's yeah, that's why I said I want to ask people that are in other states where there are more – there's a larger Hispanic Mexican population and stuff so that they can give me a different perspective because we really don't have one in Alabama because we're not up front with the issue. But what I know is that – they're locked up in the same federal prison with my brother or my cousins or, or dudes from my community or from my neighborhood. So that's 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 what I'm saying. Okay, so I guess I didn't I guess I hadn't taken that into consideration. I just assumed, you know, at Atlanta, Georgia, Alabama, you know, kinda of all went together in the in the yeah. grand scheme of time. So maybe it's just a physical location because there's a lot of people and prisons and institutions just because of, you know, their their status a lot of times. The police will come pick them up in Atlanta from wherever they are, work, whatever. But so I, I guess, you know, that that also is it speaks to that a little bit because everybody doesn't have the same level of exposure to one another to understand. And because I ain't never been in prison, I can't really speak to that situation in itself. So. I don't know if somebody else wants to take that on. I just thought, you know, I've seen a lot. I've seen it so differently in Georgia versus in South Carolina just because simply the different demographics of people and the way that people live and and the the boldness or lack of boldness in the black community um, in regards to getting things done or not, if that makes sense. 
I got you. I got you. Okay, um, we're going to take a break. We just had a uh, good conversation about, and then I, I caught something in the midst of that conversation that, like, her familiarity allowed her to say, well, their status. Like, now I remember, I hear people saying the words that, like, that's how other people even that are familiar with it even talk about it. Like, that encompasses the issue to say, well, their status. So um, even just the language that I'm using, but, like, I'm learning. I'm interested in learning. I see a potential strong ally. Uh, I see people that share similarities and circumstances with me and people like me. And uh, even though we got there for di- different reasons, but I think that now that we are here, I'm just I'm just curious as to why we haven't made the, the connection. And like like Lulu said, like there are people who who work to keep uh, keep us divided, they keep people divided, keep issues divided. The system is a is a is a big part of that. But, like, in states where there's, like, massive numbers, like in California and in Texas and Arizona and places like that, even in those places, we still are not seeing a unified front on this um, on this prison slavery issue. I'll say before criminal justice issue. The, go ahead. Before we go to the break, I just want, since we're talking about immigration, like, there was a hearing today about a bail bill, and it's a bad bail bill. It's a horrible bail bill. But one of the components of this bill was that um, bail be denied, and one of the factors uh, was the person's immigration status, which, you know, I mean, the first thing that I thought was like, now what does that have to do with the person's threat to public safety, right, that a person could, you know, and I, I know they're probably looking at it like, you know, flight risk or at risk of not um, attending the court hearing. These are the types of things, like and like you mentioned, like Texas and California, like these are the types of things that are being eased into the laws, right, that people, I don't want to say they look over, but they fail to take a look once again at, like, the commonalities. Like, look, what does that have to do with a person's, risk, you know, to harm someone, because that's what they're saying. Uh, Aside from, you know, the person possibly not attending their court date, public safety, right, and and actual attendance are the two main components of whether or not the person should be eligible for bail. And when I heard that, like, and I read the bill several times before um, the hearing, but, you know, it was something about it being said out loud that, like, you know, the person's immigration status really could deter them from being released, right? And I don't really want to go into the bill, but um, it just screams racism. Like, it screams over-incarceration. And, like, in the presence of a couple of other bills that they're trying, you know, they're trying to build new prisons, it's like, now we got this bi- this bill saying that, okay, we can't let people out because, they're looking at one county that has an issue with, you know, a rise in crime, they're saying, and saying because of that that we need to be tough on on the bail system for the whole state. And, yeah, I just, you know, because we were talking about immigration, I just, I, I had, we talked about it earlier, we are watching the hearing, but it just, it just is an example of how, you know, they're, they're easing these, they're easing immigration into these these um, issues, and it's not new, like you mentioned, but um, 
it, I don't know. I don't know why. Like there's such a disconnect between the two communities. But I think that's maybe another initiative for the National Freedom Movement, right? Sounds like it. Sounds like. It. And uh, we're gonna go to break. We're gonna come back, and we're gonna finish having this discussion about immigration. Uh, got brother Mikael on. We're gonna be hearing from him on the other side of the break. Thank you to everyone for listening in. We are live from the plantation. We'll be back after the break.
you know, it looks very different like geographically, right? Um, when you think about like even Texas, as big a state as Texas is, you know, it looks very different here. Like you go um, to South Texas, um, very, you know, very close to Mexico, like, you know, different culture. And um, it's just the reception of um, the issue and how it's addressed is different based on where you live in the country and in the state, right, based on uh, the population the percentage of the population um, um, that's there. So um, I'm not really sure what um, issues, um, other issues than you wanted to hit on. Uh, but he, uh, I he dropped know. off, it looks like, it looks like that he lost he? connection. Why? But we do have a couple of callers on if you want to bring them in. Okay. Is there anybody with their All hand right. up? Yes. Uh, let's start out. I believe this is Mandy at 89 Seven nine, your line is open. Yeah, yeah, that's man. This is Mandy with Decarcerate Louisiana. Hey, Mandy. Hey, um, yeah, I really like this topic tonight, um, because it just reminds us all that, um, you know, we have to uh, be unified in our fight, and um, our just to to uh, prove this point, um, the vision for Decarcerate Louisiana. I just want to read that real quick. The society that we are trying to build is one that does not, does not have an exception clause for slavery, one where all institutions of society will be used to support people and not punish them, and one where people will be able to learn skill sets, life skills, trades, and become productive members of society. Therefore, no place in society will be used to dehumanize people. And I just wanted to read that because it just reminds me that, um, you know, nowhere in that does it say black, brown, Republican, Democrat, lower class, upper class, it just reminds us it's us, the people, against the oppressors. And we need to define who the oppressors are. We need to defi define who the people are. And remember that it's not between us, the people. It's between us and the oppressors, the, one, the ones that are oppressing us, the ones that are sticking our, us and our family members in prison, no matter if you're coming from another country or you're raised here in the country and you're stuck in prison. Um, you know, like Fred, Fred Hefner, when he spoke to the disciples, um, you know, he reminded them of that and got them on the same team. And that's what we need to do. And um, I like that Banu brought up this topic because it, you know, it reminds me of that. And I think if we all got together and realized who we were fighting for and we were all on the same team, it would be such a, it would just work so much smoother and so much better and be a beautiful thing. Thank you, Mandy. You're right. Thank you. Sir. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like um, when we first started organizing here in Texas around, you know, amending our constitution to um, abolish slavery, um, one of our allies actually sent a court case over um, where the 13th Amendment was used, um, you know, to argue for someone who was essentially suing the detention facility that they were in. And it wasn't a black person. Um, it was someone who was in an um, in an immigration detention facility, right? And so, I think mm -hmm. like even when we're organizing around that issue, it's important to recognize that like these, these um, constitutional amendments are being used for everyone, right? So we we are highlighting the history of slavery and how it started, but everyone who is being detained at the moment is a slave. Mm -hmm. Right. right. 
Um, and that's the only way um, that we can message this issue, right? As long as we keep it um, divided, then, you know, we're never going to be successful in our fight. So I, you know, I love the work that you guys are doing down in Louisiana, and that's just a perfect vision, and you guys are doing a great job um, down right. there with um, Thank you, y'all. Yeah, and I mean, that's what the oppressor wants us to do is to say, you know, they don't want us to come together and unify. I mean, that just helps them more when when we well, don't realize I, that we're, we're in the same fight. Here, right. I have you on here. Like, we mm -hmm. had talked earlier about the parole webinar, and I know you were part of the research team. Um, so I just wanted to get your uh, feedback on that, like um, – you know, I, I got a lot of feedback that, you know, folks were um, encouraged. Um, they learned a lot from it. But what was your um, takeaway from it, the webinar last week? I Well, first of all, since I did the research, um, Victoria and I did um, anti-effective um, terrorism and anti-effective death penalty act. Um, and I, I learned a lot just from researching that and what Banu was saying earlier. I mean, it. It um, it was all about habeas corpus and um, taking that away from people. Um, so that's why it does affect the immigrants also, um, and ones in federal prison. But yeah, so just um, learning about all the different crime bills, um, I learned a lot, and I really enjoyed um, hearing the other research teams um, what they put together. Um, yeah, it was a really good webinar. Great. Thank you for your feedback. Okay, uh, Max, um, oh, you're back. Max, yeah, we got two hands up. Let me finish this right here before we uh, jump back on. It says, in 1952, the maximum sanction for anyone convicted of illegal entry was two years in prison. The Immigration Reform Act of 1986 raised the maximum penalty to 20 years in prison for people who re-entered the country after prior convictions for aggravated felonies. Since then, by statute and practice, the definition of what constitutes an aggravated felony has been expanded to include many nonviolent or trivial felonies and even certain misdemeanors. So there's just so many parallels. And then in 1986, this is the year that the 100 to 1 crack law was passed. Like these people had a plan in place, and that's the reason why I'm saying that these processes have been joined for a long time, but the movements have not been joined. So um, we got a couple callers on. I just want to finish that up. So uh, go ahead, Max. Come on with our next caller. Yeah, I, I just want to give you an update. In 2018, the Supreme Court ruled that immigrants, even those with permanent legal status and asylum seekers, do not have the right to periodic bond hearings, meaning they can be held indefinitely. Okay. So yes. 17... 1792, your line is open. 1792, your line is open. Might be on mute too, brother. Check and make sure you're not on. All right, we'll go to the next one. Uh, 9520, your line is open. Hey, family, this is Brother Elijah. I just wanted to say hello to the family, let y'all know that I'm sitting back, listening, enjoying the conversation. Um, I missed the last couple of weeks. 
um, trying to be diligent and trying also to be careful and not to, you know, get jammed up right now, you know, sweating this parole date. But I just want the family to know that I'm standing with you, standing behind you, standing beside you, and I'm here. And um, just keep doing what you're doing. It's got great topic tonight, fellas, and uh, I'm enjoying it. Peace with that. Hey, thanks a lot. You know, uh, we shall wish you uh, the best in your quest for freedom. Um, through the parole board, we know it's a, it's a battle. Freedom is a struggle in, in the United States. Like, these people, they want that freedom, and they, once they get it, they don't want to. They don't want to give it back. They don't. They're not gonna give it back. So uh, we're gonna have to figure out, you know, what we're gonna do about that. You know what they want to do. Uh, we're waiting on caller 1792 to join us. He may be having some um, issues at the moment. I know he wants to chime in on the conversation. Um, did you have anything else you wanted to add, Savannah or Lulu or anyone else in the queue? Anyone else want to speak? Press 1. We want to hear from you. You're live from the plantation. I did want to say something. Uh, two things, actually. One, Man, every time you drop off the line, you make my heart jump because I'd be worried that you got, you know, snatched up just that quick, <laughs> you know? Me too. And, uh, yeah, and Brother Elijah, you be on my mind a lot, man, with that, pro- with, you know, your pro- parole hearing and what has happened that's uh, they're judging people based on that one brother that got out from the drug deals and ended up killing people. So it's like a bad wow. time right now. Worried about you, brother. So I just want you to know you're in my prayers, both of you. Way, hey, thank you all very much. And you know, um, I got a great team with me, and you know, I got a great team of people supporting me, something that I never had before. And um, they actually um, doing research and um, writing letters. And matter of fact, um, my attorney uh, sent me a letter and asked me to see if I can get maybe four or five officers to sign. You know that's been monitoring me the last 15 years, and it actually went better than I expected. I actually ended up getting like 38, 39 signatures from um, correctional officers saying that, hey, this man is a model citizen. He's um, this, and, you know, he's not giving us any trouble, and and, and we support him in being um, granted parole and be re-entered into society, that he'll be a contributor to society, and man, that was very powerful for, for me to read that letter and to then to have 38 officers, which would be a whole shift, maybe a half a shift, uh, I mean a shift and a half of officers that have been monitoring me, most of them for the last 15 years, to say this on my behalf. So now if I got the people that's signing on that's been watching me over the last 15 and watching my character, they're saying that this man deserves another chance then i like to see how can the parole board buck against the truth, you know? If you trust these people to watch over me and to make sure that I don't escape or whatever, whatever, and they're saying that this man's character is immaculate or excellent or whatever they said, and I even had um, a few go beyond just signing their name, they even volunteered to write letters on my behalf because of the person that I am, not with the person I was when I got incarcerated. And um, so I got a very lot of um, support, man. And, and um, I thank you for your prayers. And, you know, and when you stand on faith, Brother Mac, 
it doesn't matter how hard times, it doesn't matter what's going on, but that's what I'm standing on. I'm standing on faith. Um, and, and I believe that even though the parole board is doing what they're doing, I believe that I shall prevail and parole has been granted to me. As a matter of fact, I have it already on my calendar that I've been granted parole on the 30th of this month. So I'm standing on faith, man, and I thank you for your prayers, and I appreciate your concern. And just like you say, when um, Brother Ben New just drop off like that, people don't realize that in order for us to get these messages out and to tell our stories, we must have these devices. If we never got these devices inside these prisons, then it'll be a, see a lot of stuff that's going on that people wouldn't know about. So now we have to guard these devices with our life. You know, um, I'll be glad when I make parole because my my sleep is cut short because you can't sleep hard because they run in any time of day. They run in any time of night. And like I said, we have to hold on to these things because if we don't, when, when, when we lose a, a, a phone or device, whatever you want to call it, it's our lifeline has been cut off because these people don't, want us communicating with the outside world. So uh, when Benu dropped off like that, too, that's the main reason I stuck my hand up because I wanted you all to know that you're still somebody from the inside is still here from the plantation to represent. So I just want you all to know that we go through a lot, man. We go through a lot just to hold on to these things so we can have lives on the plantation so we be able to contact the people on the outside to be able to spread the message and what's really going on behind these prison walls. Thank you, brother. Benu, you got one more hand up, by the way, and I think that uh, Brother Mikael's uh, is available now. Yeah, I'm here. Uh, man, I apologize to y'all. It's been technical difficulties all day today. But I caught, I, I was a little late, but I caught the last 30, from the last 30 minutes of the first half up. And this is a very, very important topic and issue to me, man. Uh, Benu summed it up best. He said that this slave system is a this oppression system of oppression. They have joined it together. Their tactics. They have joined those tactics together and aimed them at each lower class demographic. So they utilize these same strategies and tactics across the board on the black, the, the Latinos, our brown brothers, and even poor whites. You know what I'm saying? We can even liken the crack epidemic to the meth epidemic that spread through the trailer park system. You see what I'm saying? You just see the same tactics over and over again used on everybody. But the most important thing that he said was that the, the oppressor has joined together the tactics to aim at all of us, but the, the resistance movements haven't joined together yet. You know what I'm saying? But they are coming together now. We People are waking up. People see the truth. It's coming slowly but surely. And in regards to that, I wanted to speak about one thing going on, in, uh, this targeting ICE facilities, jails, prisons, etc. Now, this is the national shut-them-down demonstrations, 821-99-2021. In the spirit of abolition, abolition on the historical days of August 21st and September 9th, 2021 organizers must highlight prisoners' historical struggles and current political struggles to dismantle the prison industrial slave complex. Jailhouse lawyer speakers calling for mass outside demonstrations. 
specific locations include ICE detention facilities, jails, prisons, and higher learning institutions. With regards to higher learning institutions, we are pointing towards the learning institutions with connections to prison labor. So anybody that would like to be listed as an endorser or would like their shut them down demonstration to be listed, email outthemud.jls at protonmail.com. That's outthemud.jls at proton.com. And also, I would like to highlight something else. We've seen and we talked a lot the last couple of weeks about, you know, Fred Hampton because the movie dropped and we talked about the Rainbow Coalition and bringing people together for the cause and the power behind that. But uh, I've had the honor of working and speaking with some of our elders that's been political prisoners uh, for a long, long time. And I've been living on this planet. You know? And, uh, you know, the thing that I wanted to point out in regards to that is that the topic of our conversation or your conversation tonight, all of them are saying the same thing. So these elders that have been revolutionaries and putting in this work that we, we took up the banner of for the last 50, 60 years, they have come to the same conclusion that we have. Even though we fight from the inside out first and we organize around our people and our struggles, we have understood and they have understood that it's still going to take a collective of the whole and that the problems that face us as oppressed peoples in, in this nation is not rele- relegated just to us, but it also affects other demographics of American citizens, whether they be Asian, uh, the Latinos and ICE, or, or the whites and, and, and the poor whites and what they're going through. So I just wanted to highlight that even those elders, man, that come from these black power movements and their old age, so to speak, and the wisdom that they have got from years of experience, they have come to these same conclusions. So it's just a, a beautiful topic y'all speaking on tonight, one of my favorite topics, and I just wanted to point that out and say that, man. Jailhouse Lawyer Speak is aiming at doing demonstrations with ICE uh, detention facilities, and including those other demographics. And uh, before I get off of here, I also just wanted to share two quick updates. One of these elders, Brother Chip Fitzgerald, he just had a stroke, and he is on a ventilator. So I know that if you're on here and you see the flyers posted on everybody's page, you know, please support and help out that brother. And uh, Rochelle McGee. He just turned 82 yesterday, and he's been fighting for us 58 years in the system, spent decades in the shoe, man. I just want to give him updates and point that out, man, and power to all power to the people, man. Please, brother. Benny, you got two callers? Okay, let's go ahead and bring another caller on, man. All right, uh, 9592. You are, your line is open. Greetings, Benu. This is Sister McKinney. How are you guys doing? Um, I just want to let you know that I was on the air listening. Um, and I um, actually went to Sacramento yesterday um, in support of Solidarity for um, Rochelle McGee. So, um, you know, we are still doing the work. We are organizing, getting prepared for April 3rd, and I just wanted to send a shout-out to everybody. Thank you. We appreciate it. We appreciate it. So um, 
Just, 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 we have one more caller. Yeah, go ahead. All right. Next caller is 9828. You are live from the plantation. Hey, brothers, how y'all doing? This is John Lyon with Decarcerate. Uh, behind, behind the walls. I want to say the topic that y'all are bringing up today is immaculate because behind the walls, we understand how they use divide and conquer amongst races. And until we can link that up in the world, in prison also, then we'll be a force to be reckoned with. And I, I use this scenario a lot. I tell the brothers, I say, one dreadlock is stronger than one strand and a half, so we all must unite and link up. And so every topic that you brought up about ICE and the war on drugs, they're more parallel situations. So we need to be able to bring those situations and paint the picture and show the masses that this is no different. It's no difference between the black, the white, or the brown who's been oppressed. And what you're doing now it's great, and I'd love to be a part of it with decarcerate because we all on behind, most of us are behind enemy lines, and we moving forward like the brother just spoke. These devices, it's the, you know, this is the greatest thing that will come around for us right now because we're able to reach out to the world and show the world what is going on and what must need to be done. And for me being a... Um, a native of Texas, when I'm here in Savannah, speak about Texas, to my mind, it's like, okay, what is Texas doing? And to see that I have people in Texas on the same path, that's, you know, they're blowing my mind. I'm like, okay, yes, this is great. And I just want to tell everybody online, just stay strong. Stay the course. Stay the course. Mandela says so long walk to freedom. It won't be easy, but that's what we have to do. We have to stay on the path. Thank you all. Have a blessed night. Thank you for calling in and sharing, brother. Also, I got another update. Um, I think Max is speaking to say something, but um, the House representatives in the state of Alabama have passed the new, what they call in the protest bill, where they're going to try to criminalize protesting, call it rioting, in the wake of this, this, this mass movement that has emerged around the country. Uh, I guess we would say, what, since Ferguson, Max, that, would, would that be accurate? Yes. Okay, we'll say at least since Ferguson. Um, here in Alabama where they have they've had very little um pushback. There's been very little organizing. Everybody's been good in Alabama. And um they passing this bill. Like they don't wanna they, they know what's coming. Like these people know what's coming. If they ain't been having these problems then there's no reason for them to pass this legislation unless they know what's coming. And um, things are changing around the country. What were you about to say, Matt? Oh, I was just saying thank you earlier. That was all. But I do want to add one thing since you gave me an opportunity. I want people to realize just how revolutionary this program is. This is not us on, you know, pay phones using JPay or Celtel Link or whatever the hell it's called. These brothers are risking their lives and their freedom just to get these messages out. It's about as revolutionary as you can get. I just want the, the listeners to understand that. Thank you, Max. And that was the plan from the beginning. You know, we didn't just stumble up on Plymouth Rock. Like, technology had emerged uh, by 2013 when I was putting this thing together, like, that allowed for, for me to incorporate technology into my overall idea, like, and so um, 
being able to do that and take advantage of that, um, it just opened up new opportunities, gave us an opportunity. You always got to be thinking outside the box. Like you got to be looking for other ways and other areas. And technology gave us some, gave us an opportunity that people before us didn't have, you know. And so uh, it doesn't make us special or unique or anything. It just means that at that moment we were able to seize the moment and, and take this technology and use it in a way that it, that allowed us to to spread a movement that was originally just in one state, like. We have been organizing in individual states for a long time. Like Georgia had a, a, a state protest. California had three big strikes, hunger strikes. Alabama had strikes. Like, but we were all striking on the stateside level. Um, and all of our stateside actions were, were were known. You know, they were known about. But a lot of that reporting that was done. Um, on the on the state side in California and on the state side in, in Georgia, a lot of that was done by other people. Like by the time we got this opportunity to get going over here, like these technology had fully matured to the point where it allowed us to, to to do the talking, like Max just described, and it also allowed us to connect at a faster pace, and it showed us that what our teacher, our teacher, we were taught by a Panther and what we were able to do with this technology was like it showed us that we can actually organize on a national scale. We didn't have to just organize on the state level. You know, we had been organized on the state level for a long time. And um, so I just wanted to add those few little few little comments about what we're doing uh, with the platform. We just heard our sister call all the way from California, you know, and so the proof is in the pudding. Like we have California on. Uh, we have a co-host in Texas on. Uh, we have Max operating the radio show for us in California. Uh, we have people from, you just heard from multiple people, call in from Louisiana, Alabama. Like, that is what um, thinking outside of the box or the, 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 the lines, the boundaries of each individual state allowed us to do with our prison human rights movement, you know, and it allowed us to coordinate events simultaneously at one time across a large a uh, piece of, of earth from a solitary confinement cell. And uh, here we are today. And look out across the landscape. Like, you don't see an organization now hardly from inside the walls that, that's not talking uh, with nationalistic ambition because that's what it takes. But now the opportunity is there. And now the motto has been set, and here we are, uh, getting the message out across the nation. Anyone else would like to join live from the plantation? We appreciate you hearing from you. We've been having a great conversation tonight. Spent a lot of time talking about immigration. Um, we're just trying to get some understanding on, like, what are, what are the barriers? What are the other barriers that we're going to have to overcome um, to bring these movements together in all hey, actions? Yes. Hey, you mentioned the, the protest law and, you know, in the same context, like, highlighting the fact that there hadn't been a lot of, uh, really, you know, strong mobilization in Alabama. Um, and, you know, it was said that there there are several states um, that are actually filing laws and bills for stiffer penalties for protests. Um, but do you think, do you feel like that this is going to be kind of like a preventive thing, you know, where these states are just kind of falling in line to get these bills on the books um, 
it adds a kind of fear fear mongering tactic, if you will. That was my question. If I can, I would like to speak on that. Uh, I was saying in the in the host queue that Washington is working on similar legislation and also other states. So yes, they are putting down a preventative uh, barrier for us. And like you said, it hasn't been much uh, with boots on the ground and protests in Alabama, but it's picking up. There were, I mean, there has been, but there were small numbers. But now those numbers are growing, and Alabama sees that as a threat. So they want to nip it in the bud before it even starts. That's how they act. That's how they do. This is the hot seat. But uh, like I said, Washington's working on similar legislation, and so is other states around the nation. So that's something that's very important and need to be paid attention to. We need to know our parameters, what we can and can't do, because they're going to try to throw us in the back of those paddy wagons. Also, I want to say that there is a lot of social media that goes around and, and has been taken down and highlighted certain things. I want to say it was Charleston, North Carolina, where you seen a, a protest, and they actually got the fist fighting, and, and it was white versus white. It was the right versus the left. You didn't hardly see a black face out there. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's a problem for them. That's a threat. You know what I'm saying? That's why they try to keep on prying us apart with different little things. But when we come together, it, it is a problem for them. So, uh, and also we're speaking about the immigration and, and, and so forth and the ICE laws. But, uh, and I spoke on, you can liken the meth epidemic to the crack epidemic, but I left out one thing very important, and that is the opioid epidemic in the suburbs. I have seen disturbing videos where a woman and a man was dead, overdosed in the front seat of their car, and their child was in the the, uh, car seat in the back crying. I've seen disturbing videos where uh, they just fell out on the train, commuter train, dead. I've seen a video where a woman was laid out in a grocery store, dead, her daughter crying over her. These were so these were suburban white people. These were middle-class white folks. So these issues affect us all. Thank you. Peace with that. Thank you, uh, Brother Mikhail. Like, I, I, I recognize that you had uh, commented on um, the other states. That's kind of why I really brought that in. But, like, I also want to say that, like, in Texas, you know, they have a history of going a step further. And um, I had the bail bill that I had mentioned earlier, part of, well, a component of that bail bill is um, restricting community bail funds. Um, so, you know, back when we had the George Floyd protest um, here in Houston, uh, there were millions of dollars raised uh, to bail protesters out, um, you know, because there were these mass arrests. And so this bill will limit the amount that these community bail funds can spend on getting people out. I think it's $2,000. They can't spend more. There's a $2,000 bail bond limit. And in addition to that, these community bail funds will have to register with the county clerk and the sheriff's office. Um, so, again, like taking it a step further, so not only are we increasing penalties, but they're also trying to penalize the people who are um, aiding the uh, organizer. So I just wanted to throw that in there as well. Okay, great. Thank you. Uh, once again, you're listening to Live from the Plantation. 
we appreciate everyone for calling in tonight, just having this great conversation. And um, I guess we're going to circle back to a couple of things we had um, talked about the parole webinar that was conducted by the National Freedom Movement this past week, last last Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, which uh, prevented us from being able to have a show this week. Uh, just a great informative webinar. We encourage everyone to go and take a peek at it, get that information, um, and continue to organize. Uh, also, April 3rd uh, is our next national organizing effort. Um, like, it's, it's, um, it's amazing. It's amazing that we have so many people that their life literally, um, balance his own life, the, the, their life is, you know, balanced out on this parole decision. Like, parole decisions are life and death decisions more so now than ever because the risk of death has increased. The volume of death has increased. The way that we're dying has increased. And people with parole dates, um, not as many people are getting this, getting involved as you would think. Like, this is a this is this is your issue. Like this is your life. Like what would be the reason why you would not be involved? And it's not like there are other parole initiatives going on. I mean, like it would be different if someone was already doing this for for people. But like this is this is this is your platform. That's what it's created for. It's created for you to fight for your freedom in the context of of your circumstance. And um, you know, it's um, it's it's, it's amazing. You know, but we have a plan. Like we have a plan in place. We're putting a. This is a full-fledged operation. The first leg of it is getting the information out, getting people to understand it, and now we're organizing. We're organizing. We're going to be going into communities. We're going to be going on colleges, HBCUs, and whatnot. Um, we're going to be reaching out to people. Uh, we're also just waiting for guys on the inside to like figure out like what is worth fighting for. Like when is the fight going to start in earnest and not stop. Like we've got to get to the point where we're fighting um, and not not giving up on the fight or not even participating in the fight. Some people not even participating in the fight. Be that as it may, it's never been 100% participation. We're not looking for it. That's not what we're asking for. <clears throat> but we are looking for people that are serious about freedom uh, to have these conversations to do more. Everybody's got to do more in order for us to be successful. So we're going to get ready to wind down. We've got just a couple minutes left. Is there any callers? Anybody want to press one? You have any final words that you would like to say? We're going to do another uh, round the queue uh, to the people in the host queue, Lulu, Savannah, Elijah, Mikael, anyone else who wants to speak. Um, I'm going to uh, yield the floor to anyone who has any parting words. Yeah, this brother, brother Elijah. Brother, be Go ahead, brother Elijah. My phone dying. I love y'all. I'll see y'all next week. All right, Mikael. You be blessed. Stay safe, brother. But uh, I just wanted to say this, man. I, I really sat back, you know, and I'm looking at the parole situation in Alabama, and it, and it breaks my heart because there are so many grandfathers, man. There are so many great-grandfathers that's incarcerated inside of Alabama prison, and the only way out is through the parole board. And you got grandfathers that done did decades and decades of time, and they're still being denied. Um, last week, there was um, eight people granted parole, 
and these people had 30 numbers. And when I mean 30 numbers, that's, that's the number that the parole, I mean the uh, ADOC number, when they number people coming in. When I came in, I was in a team number. So now it took a long time to get from the teens to the 20s. And now we are in the 30s. But they keep making laws and avenues for the people that have these 30 numbers that not, have not done any time. Or, or, or haven't done five years or seven years or ten years, but it's sad that you got grandfathers and great grandfathers that's in prison who have spent decades inside behind these walls and they are not be given the chance to go out and, and, and try to live their final days, you know, as a free man or, 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 a, or a man that's able to go and sit on a fish creek or be able to sit down and tell his grandkids about what's happening, how this happening, just to try to steer them in the right direction. And it just breaks my heart that these people have no compassion. Not only are they uh, incarcerating and holding the grandfathers in, but this not only take a toll on the incarcerated, but it takes a toll on the grandchildren as well because there are so many things that a grandfather or a grandmother can teach those grandchildren. There are so many things that they can share with them to, 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 to try to keep them on the right road and not to, for them not to end up in the same situation that they're in. And I just wanted to share that, man. We, we, we got to do something, you know, that something got to be done. I don't know what, I don't know what the answer is. I really don't. But it's sad that there's no compassion with these people on the parole board, seeing that these people have done decades in prison and you still have the nerve to set them off five more years. Five years for a man that's 60 or 65 or 70 years or five more years is a lifetime. Most of us don't even feel like we have five years left in us. But they give us that's five right. years. That's right. That's they right. set us off so many times, five, five, five. Those fives add up. And in the, in, the, in the midst of those five years set off, because of the care that we're not getting, because of the, 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 the conditions that we live in, it, it, it's taking a toll on the body. It's taking a toll on the mind, man. And, 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 and it's like Alabama is no, being incarcerated inside the Alabama prison system, dealing with the parole board, is no different in my eyesight and then having to stand in a gas chamber and having to cut the switch on and, and, and take your oxygen away. Alabama just doing it in a slow death way, man. It's sad. And I don't know what we got to do, people, but something must be done. And I'll see you through that, job. Okay, so um, I just want to make a closing remark first about to remind everyone about my call for direct action in Texas. We're trying to get a hearing for our House Joint Resolution. So please call Representative Chris Patty and tell him we're trying to abolish slavery in Texas, and we need a hearing so we can be heard. His number is 512. Four six three zero five five six, and um, regarding national freedom movement, like I just want to say that like I love the twofold structure of the national freedom movement. I love that it's led by folks on the inside, and I love that we're able to be the support that they need um, to reach their goals. Like I, I just feel so much momentum behind this uh, parole initiative. And I really think that, like, a pathway to freedom really should be 
our agenda for everything. Like even with the ditch the bitch campaign, like I think every state needs to aim. Every state that has a habitual offender law needs to aim towards repealing and getting rid of it. Um, my loved one was actually sentenced here in Texas under the habitual offender statute. So um, again, like I think. Just a pathway to freedom needs to be everyone's centered focus, no matter whether we're looking at, you know, freedom through education, freedom through new parole, you know, uh, just whatever it is, like working towards keeping everybody centered, safe, focused, and on the outside, right? Um, but that's all I have, and I'll yield with that. I would like to right. um, say that. You can get archives of Live from the Plantation from abolitiontoday.org. We're up to number 27 right now. Woot! <laughs> episode 27. Next week will be episode 28. Also at Abolition Today, you can check out our interview with Tina Wyatt, the great-great-great-grandniece of Harriet Tubman that we had last week on Abolition Today. So you can check that out at the same location. All right. Um, National Freedom Movement, we can be reached at the number one, National Freedom Movement at gmail.com. You got questions about the parole um, initiative. You got questions about the parole bills that we're putting together. You want to get a copy to push it in your state. And just to reiterate something Savannah said, and we're going to be ready to close out, like whatever action that you're doing, like out in front of it needs to be a specific pathway to freedom that people are, are, are coming together around. Like when we talk about the parole, I'm going to use stuff that we talk about. So, you know, just to be particular, when we talked about parole, our parole event was about creating pathway to freedom through two ways, reinstating federal parole and a mandatory parole, parole criteria. When we're talking about ditch the bitch, we're talking about repealing habitual offender law that automatically releases people. Like we're, we're, we're putting particular organizing efforts on the table that apply across the board around the country. Like we're making sure that we're creating very well thought out issues that affect everyone that's simple to organize around. Like we don't want to complicate, like we can complicate parole with COVID-19, over 50, serve 20 years or more, juvenile. Like, we can come with all that stuff. We can come with all that. And before you know it, you have a parole list 50, 50 issues long. But at the core, if you got all those issues and you don't have mandatory parole, only thing you're doing is creating an opportunity for somebody to go up for parole, which we already have. Something most people already have. But if you go up for parole and these folks got the discretion to say yes or no, then you you this that's that's a pirate victim. You just got some pass on the books, but you ain't changed nothing. See, mandatory parole criteria automatically is gonna free someone. So whatever it is that you're talking about, you have to have a mechanism involved to free people, or you just organize or you just you just you just doing a lot of stuff. You're doing the most. You know, you're just doing a lot of things. Same thing with the uh, uh, ditch the bitch. Like, we can tell you specifically how this changes people's lives, like how this particularly is going to release people. Like, when you're talking about the 20-year the match, like, a lot of people have committed crimes that carry 2 to 20 
and they got life sentences and stuff because of habitual offender law. They've already did 20, 30 years. You repealed this to bitch. They automatically have completed their time. Like these are these are pathways to freedom. These are not conversation pieces. These are not uh, flag bearing horn too. We're trying to be very strategic about how we even select the issue of what we're going to fight for. Thank y'all for uh, joining us. We'll be back every Thursday night. Bring a friend. Bring some more people. You know someone on the inside. They got access. They can call. Have them call in and, and, and let's link up. Tell them to send an email to one national freedom movement at gmail.com. Get involved. We'll see you next Thursday. Free the grandfathers. Free the grandmothers. Free everybody.
Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.